morning. It is it is really good to uh, be together and to get to see your faces on the screen. Um, I uh, I was thinking this week about uh, a number of things in light of everything that's going on. Um, but yeah, one of the things that, that I thought about um, in light of a conversation I had with someone was that in high school, one of the things that my heart was absolutely captivated by um, was something called a black North Face Denali jacket. Now, some of you, I don't know if you know what that jacket is, but it was a, it's a fleece uh, that had these like nylon patches on the shoulders and down the elbows. And uh, back in the day in high school, uh, they cost about $165, which was quite a bit richer than my blood. And it was one of those things that like my friends would get them for Christmas. My friends would get them for birthdays, but my family just didn't roll like that. And, um, because my parents got divorced, you know, I, I pretty much went to work at a pretty young age and paid my way for, for pretty much everything I wanted to do. And as much as I loved it, it just wasn't on my priority list to get one. But when I moved out to, to Oregon, um, I, I first went and visited my sister who was living down in the Bay area and down in the Bay, there's actually a, a North face, uh, like employee store or, um, discount retail store. I, I don't know which one it is, but it's an outlet store. And so my sister took me there and lo and behold, of course they had the Denali jacket and I was able to buy one for like half price for like $80. And I remember I brought it, it was in the summer when I saw her. And so it was too hot to wear down there and it was too, too hot to even wear up here. And so I, when I got to college at, down at U of O, I just, I stuck it in my closet, tags still on it and was so excited and waiting for the, the cooler weather to come so I could wear it. Uh, but at that time, this was like just several months after I, I'd started walking with Jesus. Um, I'd met a, a guy named Joel, actually Joel Vaught. And uh, he was part of the, the crew ministry, the crew family, part of the guys that I rolled with. And Joel had just gotten a, a, a car. It was a used car, but to him it was new. Um, and I don't know what his steps were, but somehow he didn't end up having insurance on the car like that first week. And guess what? His car got broken into that first week. And guess what was stolen out of Joel's car? It was his black North Face Denali jacket. And when I remember hearing about it, and he was just broken about it, not even really the jacket that he cared about, but the other stuff. I think he had his, his book bag and all his school books and all his stuff in there. And he was just really broken. He was upset. He was frustrated. And so I remember as, as a bunch of guys, we sat around and we prayed just uh, for God's peace and God's care for him. And, and after that kind of Bible study time left, um, I remember that night just hearing, feeling like God was saying, you know, what can you do to love your brother? And I, I felt like God was saying, give him, you need to give him your, your black North Face Denali jacket. Now, I hadn't even bought it yet. I mean, I hadn't even, like, I hadn't even taken the tags off yet. I hadn't worn it. I had literally bought it, stuck it in my closet, and I was waiting and longing for, again, the weather to change so I could wear this thing. Um, and, and I wrestled with it for a couple of days. And finally, I felt like God was saying over and over for those days, you need to give, or, or not, you need to, but I, I want you. I'm inviting you, <laughs> in a sense, to give Joel the jacket. And I was reminded in those days as I wrestled with it, that when I had said yes to following Jesus, I was saying yes, really to surrender everything to him, to trust him with every piece of my heart, as we just sang about, and even to open up my hands for the sake of his kingdom. And so I ended up doing that. I ended up giving Joel the jacket. And I remember him just being so blessed by it um, because he really actually needed the jacket. He needed one. He had spent everything he could to, to get that car as a college student. And, um, 
having the jacket just meant, meant the world to him. And I, and I was thinking about that this week and, and just remembering back how that really was one of the very first lessons that God taught me um, 20 years ago about, about stewardship, really. About what does it look like for me to understand that really everything that God has entrusted me with is to be stewarded in a way that uh, it's for his kingdom, for his glory, for the, the joy and the flourishing of others in this world. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend a little time and, and talk about that. We're, we're going to talk about stewardship. Um, now, most people, if, if you're like most people, when you hear the word stewardship, what you might automatically be thinking about is money or about giving money. And I'll be honest, that that's part of it. But biblical stewardship is actually about so much more than money. It, it actually applies to all of our life, every area of our life. And this confusion, this lack of understanding what true biblical stewardship is, is part of the reason why we need to talk about it. Because in order for us to live as true kingdom citizens, and really to do the things that we believe God is calling us to do in this world, and, and to do the things that the world needs us to do as the church, uh, we really need to restore an appropriate understanding and attitude about stewardship. Um, right now, I think understanding biblical stewardship is it's, it's extremely important. Um, and, I, and I'll be honest, there's a couple reasons why. We are in our vision campaign season, and, and there will be a time later this month where our community will be called and asked to give, and so stewardship of, of finances. But even more than that, because finance is only part of stewardship, in light of this, this pandemic, uh, right now, being in a pandemic, it's a time of great uncertainty. It's a time even of scarcity. Uh, and it's not something that's going away anytime soon. You know, maybe at the beginning of the pandemic, some of us thought, oh, it's only going to be two or three week thing, and then turn into now a two to three month thing. And what we're learning is this, this might actually be a one to two year type thing that we're needing to plan and prepare and think about. There's a, there's a bigger stewardship of life that's entailed as we think about what does the next two to three years look like. Uh, also too, we sent out a, a church re-engagement survey a few weeks ago and you guys filled that out. And one of the questions that was asked was, what do you feel like is your biggest concern or your biggest care? And, and people wrote back and then actually finances was the, was the smallest concern. It was the one least mentioned. The, the other concerns of much greater concern were work-life balance, uh, marriage and relationships in our home, emotional health, spiritual health. Those are all actually related to greater overall broader stewardship of our life. Those are stewardship areas. But if we think that finances is the only thing that comes into play under in, in stewardship from a biblical perspective, we're going to look at that stuff radically different than we ought to. Also right now in the last couple of weeks, we're, we're in this fight for racial equality, uh, for racial reconciliation. We're in this process. And that too, I assure you, is not a two to three week journey. Uh, I mean, it's, it's 400 years in the making that, that we're having to, to battle and fight for all people to be seen and respected as image bearers of God and to have equality and equity in our world. That too is a, is a stewardship journey. It's a stewardship battle. And so today, potentially, and in the next couple of weeks, we might have some hard conversations, or this might feel like a hard conversation for some of you. But one of the things I'm just being more and more reminded of in this time of, of quarantine, of stay at home, of, of the things going on in this world, as I, as I talk with many of you and as I look what's going on, that the hard conversations are the ones that honestly we need to be having. They're the ones I know that we need to be having in my own home and my family and we have been, and they're the ones that we need to be having as a church family. Uh, but, but my hope and my goal is over the next few weeks as we talk about stewardship, uh, the desire is that we'd all grow in, in really understanding and seeing what's the biblical heart and the biblical understanding of stewardship 
in order that we're able to live in with a greater degree of joy. And I want to start by just uh, looking at the foundation of stewardship. Really what I believe is that stewardship was actually humanity's first assignment and responsibility. And so I want to, I want to open up uh, the scriptural text. I think anytime we're, we're looking at anything, we need to look at the, the foundation, look at the origin, the beginning of it, uh, and God's heart, God's intention. And so uh, we're going to go back to, to Genesis, and Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where, where it says this. It says, then God said, uh, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping creature that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, real clearly, I mean, this passage describes how God created everything and then God created humanity. And he clearly defines our role as stewards. He clearly defines our role as managers of everything that he's made. Now, uh, throughout our, our whole 20, our Rhythms for Life series, we've looked at this passage a number of times, and we've talked about, even most recently, that this passage also speaks to us as co-creators, God being the ultimate creator, and us being co-creators with God. And really thinking even about that, us co-creating with God in his world, to properly understand even how we do that, is to first understand this role of, of, of stewards, this role of, of being managers or overseers of everything that actually belongs to God. And so Genesis here is clear that we're tasked with managing what belongs to God. This is true before the fall, and this is still true after the fall, that, that God has called us to steward or to oversee, to take custody of the things that he's created and to steward it in a way that continues to reflect his heart, his purposes. And so at its core, stewardship is, is really about managing the possessions of someone else. And so the, the focus of biblical stewardship, it's on the oversight of everything we have in our possession, not just simply money, and it being managed in the best interest of the owner, not in the best interest of ourselves. And so here's a, here's a question that's central to biblical stewardship is, who is the owner of the things in my possession? Who is the owner of the things in my possession? Well, yeah, the psalmist has... Your slide just showed there, Psalm 24, 1 to 2. Here, here's what the psalmist writes. The psalmist writes and says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, or, or, or all that fills it, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas, and he has established it upon the rivers. All throughout Scripture, this is just one of many, that speak to and remind us that God's the owner actually of everything in this world. Because he created it, because he designed it, because it has his purposes and his character all throughout it, it's God's. It all belongs to God. <laughs> and as I say that, some of you might say, really? It belongs to God? He's the owner of it? It doesn't really necessarily seem like that. And so I think the other question we have to ask is, is that because God's not a good owner? Or is that because of humanity's lack of understanding and practice of good stewardship? And I would propose that, that it's the latter. I, I know that in my own life. I know that by looking at the world that we're living in and the battles being fought, that, that God is a good owner. God is a good creator. But humanity has failed to understand and practice good stewardship of all that God has entrusted to us. And again, it's far more than money that we're talking about here. And so I, I do, I want you to think about this for a second. Of what you have in your possession, 
What is yours and what is God's? If you were to, in your head, give a percentage <laughs> of what you have in your possession, what is yours and what is God's? I think all of us as disciples of Jesus and after reading Psalm 24, I think all of us would like to say, oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. It's all, it's all God's. But I know as I've thought about that question this week, I've had to, to be honest and, and, and realize that, one, when I think of possessions, I do often just think about the material, physical, monetary. And, and also then I also, I, I don't fully live that, that everything is God's. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm wired. I have a natural inclination and bent to want to possess, to want to own, to want to control things um, as opposed to steward them. And so this, is, this has been good for me to think about. I want to remind you too of, of things that we've looked at in the past that when we're talking about, again, what you're possessing, it, it's not just finances or material things that might be part of it, but that's not the whole of it. Uh, we've talked in the past about five capitals that, that what's in your possession, actually, the totality of your makeup and your world that God has entrusted you with, there's five capitals. There's spiritual capital, there's relational capital, there's physical capital, there's intellectual capital, and then there's financial capital. And, and when we're talking about stewardship, we need to remember that this, this, is, this is the totality of what Scripture is talking about, or this is a, a more full picture of what Scripture is talking about than what we often think of just, just the financial but even thinking about my spiritual life and what's been entrusted to me is, is, is my spirit, is it really fully mine and mine to do with whatever I want? Or does God have an intention and a plan that he's entrusted when he's entrusted to me, his spirit and a spiritual nature like himself relational thinking about even just starting in my home, my wife, my boys, and my neighbors around my, my staff and coworker team, all of you, the, the relationships that God, are they really mine? Or are you guys a blessing and a gift, a grace that God has placed in my life that then I need to therefore steward differently than maybe I often do? Physical, the physical body, again, is, is it mine or is, is, is God's entrusted to me? Intellect, finances, all of it. I think, church, we need to begin to think more holistically about stewarding all the things that God has given us. And as I've, I've been reading about stewardship over the last while, um, another way that I've seen a lot of people kind of boil down or, or talk about the elements or the aspects of biblical stewardship would, would be kind of three major areas, time, spiritual gifts, and financial resources. Again, acknowledging that finances is part of it, but even more so, if you think about time, time's maybe one of the greatest resources each of us have, and what's the manner in which we're stewarding that? And then the spiritual gifts, again, the things that the graces that God has placed within our lives, uh, how are we stewarding those? You know, Peter wrote about it in first Peter chapter four, as he's talking about gifts and the grace of God, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The, the call to a biblical stewardship actually is, is, is that it's, it's about us acknowledging and recognizing the grace of God in the totality of our lives, his, his grace given so that we can live more whole and full lives and us understanding that every grace has with it a call to be stewarded for the glory of the one who really owns it. And so understanding true biblical stewardship, it's essential to experiencing a holistic spiritual formation as opposed to just thinking about stewardship being one small part of my formation, but realizing that all of my life, all everything that, that God is inviting me into has an element of, of stewardship to it. 
I want to look with you at a, at a, at a biblical story in the Old Testament, because I think a really good example of the whole idea and the wholeness and the heart of stewardship uh, comes from the life of, of Joseph. Um, in the Old Testament, there was a man named Joseph. He uh, was the son of Jacob, Jacob, who uh, also was known by the name of Israel. And, and Jacob uh, had uh, 12 sons. Joseph was one of 12. He was the youngest. But we're told in the narrative that um, he actually was uh, his father's favorite because uh, he was God gave him uh, to, to Jacob in his old age. And so Joseph had this, this special favor with his dad that his 11 brothers didn't like. They actually really, uh, really, really didn't like. And then to make matters worse, if you will, for Joseph anyways, um, God met Joseph twice in a dream, in two dreams. And in each of these dreams, uh, God gave him a vision of him, Joseph, being a significant player and, a, and in a significant place to, of leadership for the things that, that God wanted to do. And so Joseph shares this with his brothers and he shares this with his dad and his dad reprimands him for it, but his brothers became really angry. His brothers even became jealous. And so what the brothers do is they sell Joseph off into slavery. Joseph is then sold from the original owners to, uh, he's taken to Egypt and he's sold as a slave in Egypt to a captain of the guard named Potiphar. And so that's where I want to pick up the story and read with you about, about Joseph's life. And so Genesis uh, 39, five and six um, says this, it says that from the time that he was made overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And so he, this is Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. Just pause for a second. And, and, and this, is, this is really the, the heart of, of stewardship. It's understanding that we've been entrusted with oversight of, of everything, of things that, that belong to another. Uh, Potiphar saw that, that God, God's favor, God's spirit was, was upon Joseph and rested with him. And, and he saw that, that God was actually making Joseph successful, the text tells us earlier. And so what Potiphar did was he, he, he entrusted Joseph with, with everything. And it says that because of the way that Joseph stewarded all that was in his hands faithfully, justfully, it says that Potiphar actually worried about nothing other than just what he himself would, would eat. Now the story picks up and, and we're told actually at the end of this, it's kind of a, a weird ending in verse six. It says, Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And so what happens is that uh, Potiphar's wife one day tries to come in um, and, and be with Joseph and, and Joseph runs, but she grabs his clothes and everything. And so Joseph ends up getting put in prison on some really trumped up charges. And so the, the narrative again picks up in, in Genesis 39 uh, verse 23. And it says, now the keeper of the prison ended up putting everything into Joseph's care. And he paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. See, in these passages, what we see here is that no matter what resources or what capital are in Joseph's care, and regardless of the circumstances or where he was, Joseph was a model steward of everything under his care. Joseph is eventually released from prison uh, by Pharaoh because uh, he's able to interpret some dreams of Pharaoh and Pharaoh ends up putting him in charge of everything. And, and we have to ask the question again, was Pharaoh ultimately the one who put him in charge or, or was it God's to put Joseph in charge of? Uh, but what we see is that God gave him custody of, of everything in this 
really powerful, mighty kingdom. And what Joseph did was he stewarded it toward kingdom advancement and flourishing. And we see again that the heart of biblical stewardship is this understanding that our lives really are that of, of overseers. It's oversight of what belongs to God. And in these passages, we see that Joseph, he's living out this essence of what Jesus actually describes to us as he calls us in the New Testament to stewardship uh, in Matthew 25. Now, Matthew 25, we're not going to look at at all of it, but it's broken up into three sections. And in Matthew 25, uh, the first section talks about the timing of the arrival of the kingdom and the reality that none of us know when that's going to be. And so we're called to, to live and to steward life awake and attuned to with a vision towards this day when the master, when Christ will return. The second portion, which, which we will look at here for a moment, it talks about living as faithful servants and stewards and really to see what's the reward of that. What's the, the kingdom heart of that. And then finally, Matthew 25, the third section, it's about the final judgment. It's about giving an account for the way we've stewarded life at the time when, when God comes to usher in uh, the, the fullness of his kingdom. And so I want to read in Matthew 25, uh, this middle portion that probably all of us are very familiar with if, if you've been walking with, with Christ at all and in your text. Uh, it's, it's the parable of the talents. And, and I want to read it together and talk about really, again, uh, the key of the heart of, of biblical stewardship and the reason why God actually calls us to steward life the way that he does. And so Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 14, it says this. It says, for it will be like, and when it says it, it's talking about the kingdom. For it, the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five more talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who, the one who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made you two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, here you can have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, as we read this, we, we realize some of this language seems quite harsh. Some of this language seems almost counter to the, to the heart of Christ. Um, but I think, honestly, what that shows us is how seriously God 
takes the stewardship of, of life, the stewardship of the things he's entrusted to us. Uh, one of the things interesting about this passage is that it uses this, uses this word talent. Uh, talents were um, a monetary unit. They, they say here that it's about 20 years worth of wages for a laborer. But it wasn't actually the common language of, of the day. There was, there was other nominations that were used more to talk about money. But when Jesus talks about it in this parable, he uses this word talents, which again, it's, it is a monetary unit, but it has this sense because it's such a large amount, it has this idea of speaking to the wholeness of life. And so I actually believe that as you're, as you're reading this, as we're reading this, and as even the original hearers would hear it, because a talent was such a large amount, they would think of Jesus, they would hear Jesus saying this, talking not just about money here, but again, talking about all of life that's been entrusted to them. And so as it says here that the master gave certain numbers and amounts, we can be, again, remembering that, that stewardship is about far more than money, but it's about all these different areas of life as a whole. But I think what, what, what Jesus does here in, in this portion, in this section of Matthew 25, is that he talks to us again about the true heart of, of biblical stewardship. See, two of the men here, it says, they invested all that they had in order to get a return for the master. And the master in verse 21 and in verse 23 commends these men with the words that we all want to hear from Jesus someday. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much more. Enter into the joy of your master. And I think herein lies really the heart of biblical stewardship, is that biblical stewardship is about experiencing the joy and the abundance of the Lord. See, talking about stewardship, first and foremost, we need to remember that God actually, he wants to bless us with a supernatural joy and a sense of fulfillment. That here too, as God uses the word abundance, that God wants us to experience life in abundance. That's why he sent his son. That's why he died for us. That's why he rose again. That's why he sent his spirit. And when we think about abundance and we hear this word abundance, again, too often in our Western commercial mindset, we think about this meaning finances. But what Jesus is saying here, actually, when he says, enter into the joy of your master, again, he's talking about something much greater than, than just finance. He's talking about the joy and the abundance of, of the presence of God, the blessing of God in our life in every single area, in, in our relationships, in our spirituality, in, in our intellect, in our, in our families, uh, in, in, yes, in our material. Potentially, that's part of it, but that's not the totality of it. You know, we sang a song this morning, actually, that said, uh, we're a valley of dry bones. Jesus, would, would you lead us back to life in you? And I think that's actually the, the true heart of, of biblical stewardship. It is, is helping us to realize and to look at the ways in our lives that we, we, if we're honest, we're dry. We, we feel dry. We feel worn out. We feel tired from our own battles, from the battles of this world. And in so many ways, from stewarding things uh, in our own perspective, as opposed to stewarding them in God's perspective, or viewing stewardship as only just a financial thing, as opposed to a totality of life thing. There's so many areas in which we're, we experience dryness, we experience lack. And again, Christ says here, come and enter into the joy of your master. To those who stewarded well, come and enter into the abundance of the life that God wants you to have. And I believe Jesus wants to lead us back to that place of abundance. This, this parable here, though, also teaches us another key thing about biblical stewardship. In verse 24 and 25, it says that he who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, 
I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. See, biblical stewardship is first and foremost about experiencing the joy and the abundance of the Lord. At least that's God's heart. That's the heart of it. But biblical stewardship is ultimately about my view of God. It, it, it causes me to ask these questions that do, do I believe God is worthy? Just as much as it's about, do I believe that God is the owner of, of all things and I'm nearly a steward of it? It's then asking this question of, do I believe that God is worthy? Is God trustworthy even with all these areas of my life? Not only again, just finances, but my spirituality, my relationships, my intellect, uh, everything that, that he's entrusted to me. And in, again, asking, is he really in control? And I think coupled with that is, does he really care about me? See, my stewardship is ultimately about my view of God. The one servant here who was reprimanded and was not invited into the joy and the blessing, he had a false view of who the master was. And his false view of who the master was caused him to steward in a very poor way. As opposed to investing for the sake of the master, all, he, he, he hid. He, 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 he hid away and he stored away. He buried the talent that was given to him as opposed to using it in faith, to stewarding it in a way that was about ultimately bringing back the return for the one who truly owned it. See, stewardship at its heart, because it's about my view of God, it's about trust. And it's not so much about does God trust us because God has already entrusted us with everything, but it's about do I trust God? Do I trust God? Can I trust God with all that I have and all that I need, believing that his hands are the one that hold the world, that his hands are the one that created all this, that he is the owner of all of these things. He's the master of it all. And by his grace, he's invited me to co-create, to steward, to manage what he ultimately has created. And that's why biblical stewardship and a, a bigger and more true picture of it than we usually have. That's why it's essential to our spiritual formation because it's ultimately about my view of God, my understanding of who God is, his character, his heart, and even his love and his care for me. Can I really trust God with all of my life? I think third thing about stewardship that we see both through this picture here, but also again, if we return to the life of Joseph, my stewardship is related to my understanding of the God-given purpose and vision for my life. And we, we saw in the narrative, or I told you in the narrative uh, of, of the Genesis, that Joseph's life, <laughs> the way it kind of started to go sideways in, in, in the eyes of, of, from a human perspective, is that God had given him these two dreams. These dreams that God clearly showed him what the purpose and the call on his life was. That God had a, had a, had a vision for his life and a purpose for his life to ultimately be part of uh, great leadership and then actually bringing restoration, bringing wholeness. And if you look at Joseph's life, wh whether he was free and out in the fields or whether he has been brutalized by his brothers and sold into slavery and whether he was freed again and entrusted to everything by Pharaoh, Joseph stewarded everything in his life according to the dream and the vision and the purpose that God had given him. Regardless of circumstance, he was, be, he was able to be faithful as a steward because he was grounded and, and guided by the vision and the purpose that God had called him to. And we know by, by looking at this narrative that Joseph ultimately is a foreshadowing or he's a Christ figure. 
And when we look at Christ's life, there's the same thing that, that, that he speaks and that he speaks about his own life and about others, that, that Christ understood his, the purpose of his life. Christ understood the calling on his life. And he could therefore live throughout life as a steward that said, I, I, I say nothing except what the father tells me to say. I do nothing except what the father tells me to do. And you could see that, that Christ stewarded his life in, in rhythms as we've been talking about in a way that ultimately sought the greatest return, not for himself, but the greatest return for the father and for the kingdom. And even not the greatest return for himself, but the greatest return for you and I, as he ultimately stewarded his life in sacrifice and servitude to us, laying down his life so that we could experience the joy and the abundance. See, biblical stewardship, I believe, is it's, it's not a response to something, but ultimately it's, it's a life posture. It's, it's a spiritual practice. It's, it's, a, it's a movement. It, it's tied to the vision of, of knowing, again, who we are in God, knowing what God has called us to in terms of the purpose of our lives. And a lot of that plays out, again, in far more than just finances, but it plays out in our relationships. It plays out in our intellect. It plays out in our jobs and our work. It plays out in every aspect of our life that God has entrusted us to. The, the, the vision of, of knowing Jesus and making him known that we often talk about, Missio, that, that process is going to be filled with trials and hardships. And what sustains us in living out that vision? What sustains us in being stewards of that? It's got to be tied back to us understanding God and his character and his heart and the purposes then that he's called us to as his image bearers and as his disciples. We talk a lot about creating space for others to experience the goodness of God. We talk about feeding the hungry. We talk about restoring sight to the blind. We, we talk about setting captives free. We talk about fighting for racial justice and reconciliation. None of these is a short-term journey. Each one of these, all of these areas is going to be filled with trials and challenges along the way. And we have to ask ourselves, what is it that's going to sustain us in stewarding our lives in a way that is for the master, for his kingdom, and for the flourishing of others, if it's not the vision and us understanding the purpose that God has called us to? And so church, we need, we need a God-given purpose. We need a God-given vision that will sustain and help us to persevere in kingdom stewardship in order to live for, yes, the blessing of God, not just for ourselves, but the blessing of, of God for the world. And right now, more than ever, again, in the midst of all the things that are going on, we need to restore a biblical perspective, a more holistic perspective of what stewardship is and the beauty, the joy that God is calling us into as he invites us to be those who are in custody and, and, and those who are managing the things that he's made and he's created. Yeah, kingdom flourishing, it, it occurs when we're good stewards of what God has placed under our custody. Again, our time, our spiritual gifts, our relationships, our finances, all of it. And stewardship is something, if we're going to see the kingdom flourish, it's got to be something that we all do together. It's got to be something that each of us as individual disciples of Jesus understand and live into, again, as a posture, as a way of life, as, as a movement within our lives. And it has to be something that we as a body of Christ embrace together. It's, it's an individual act and it's, it's a body act. It's a community act that we steward things for the glory of God. So I want to leave us with, with two questions. And again, today we're just, we're just introducing this, this more fuller picture of biblical stewardship. And I want to leave you with two questions to think about and that we'll continue to talk about in the weeks to come. But first one would be this. 
if Jesus had your life, how would he steward it? Right? If, if being a disciple is being a learner, if being a disciple is about becoming like Christ in his words and his ways and his works, if Jesus had your life, how would he steward it? If he had your time, how would he steward it? If he had your relationships, how would he steward it? If he had your spiritual gifts, how would he steward them? If he had your intellect, how would he steward it? If he had your positions of, of power in your positions of influence, how would he steward them? If he had your finances, how would Jesus steward them? If Jesus had your life, how would he steward it? And secondly, the question I want us to wrestle with this week is what's the God-given purpose and vision for your life that's guiding your stewardship of what Jesus has entrusted to your care? Because again, we look at the life of, of Joseph, we look at the life of these three in this parable and their ability to steward in a way that allowed them to receive the commendation of the master, to receive the applause and the invitation into joy and into abundance was tied to their view and understanding of not only who God the master was, but also tied to their understanding of their own purpose and the vision they had or was, that was given to them by God for their life in this world. You know, church, I, again, I, I think about often our community and I marvel often at, at, at who we are. I marvel at the grace of God in the individual lives of people. And I marvel at the grace of God in us as, as a whole, the, the, the potential uh, to, to do kingdom work and to reach people for the gospel in our own city and beyond. I marvel at that grace that, that God has entrusted us with in these various forms. And my heart and, and, and my longing, my desire is that as we talk over these next few weeks about biblical stewardship, that our hearts would, would be captured by this desire to see God more rightly and fully and to, to, to live for the joy and the abundance uh, that, that Christ has called us to, and also to live to see greater flourishing in our world because we begin to steward everything that's within our care, even in the midst of a season like this that is filled with hardship and challenge. We would steward it with faithfulness and obedience out of love for God acknowledging the grace that he's entrusted us with in all these areas. So Missio, this week, would you wrestle with those questions? Would you go before the Lord? Would you seek him out? And I'm going to be praying, yeah, that God speaks and moves by his spirit to, to enlarge our hearts, to enlarge our vision and enlarge and increase our joy for understanding uh, the way he's called us to, to steward all that he's entrusted us to. Amen.